all through my life, like I said, people wanted to take the pen from me. And all through my life, I said, no, I'm writing the story. And that's what I want from everybody else, to have everybody put the pen back in their hand and start writing the story they want to live. That was from my conversation exploring the walk of life with coach and founder of A Call to Action, Paul Fortune. A Call to Action helps people clarify and accomplish their goals. After being diagnosed with cerebral palsy as an infant, Paul's family was told he would never walk. After years of hard work and treatment, Paul was able to not only walk, but also became a pitcher for his high school varsity baseball team. Paul realized that he could help others take control of their lives and rewrite their own story. I'm humbled to share Paul's inspiring story and message. As always, thank you to Misha Zarin for the music in today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, Paul Fortune. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing well, Walker. How about yourself? I'm good, thank you. Um, so, Paul, really excited to have you on. Um, you have a company, A Call to Action, uh, which the website for that is acalltoaction.coach, uh, which I'll have a link in the show notes for people to, to click directly on that. But I kind of want to start just there with A Call to Action. What is the mission of A Call to Action? The mission of A Call to Action is making sure that you take back your pen. So often in life, we start to go into autopilot and somebody else is writing your story for you. And it's time to take back your pen and start to write the story that you want for yourself. Not for anybody else, but for yourself. All through my life, people wanted to take back that pen from me and write the story they thought it should go. And all through my life, I said, no, that's not how the story's going to go. Let me take back my pen and I'm going to write my story. And that's what I want to do for everybody else is take back your pen and write the story that you want to live because we got one life to live. So we want to live it the way we really want to live it. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. And I think that you have, um, you know, a, a very unique perspective on this um, because of your, the challenges you had as a child. Now, you were born with cerebral palsy, I understand. And so I was curious if maybe you could kind of walk through, you know, what, what that experience was like. Yeah, absolutely. And if your audience doesn't know what cerebral palsy is, it's lack of oxygen to the brain at labor. And as a result of this lack of oxygen to the, uh, the brain at labor, it can leave one side of the body paralyzed. And this is permanent. It doesn't go away. It can affect your speech. Uh, so there's a lot of bad things that can happen when, you, when you're diagnosed with cerebral palsy. So when I was born, I wasn't moving the right side of my body very much. And naturally, my mom was very concerned about that. So she got me to the doctor and they did some testing and the test came back that I indeed suffered from cerebral palsy. And this particular doctor thought it was so severe that he thought I would never, ever be able to walk. And when I got to a certain age, it would be a good idea to get me in a wheelchair because that was going to be my life going forward. Um, I've had conversations with my mom about this walker. And obviously when she heard that news, she was devastated. Mm -hmm. um, I believe she cried herself to sleep that night wondering what was going to be the life of her baby boy. And she tell, told me the next morning when she woke up and she got me ready for the day, I'm an infant at this time. I gave her a look, a look if to say, mom, please don't let this be my story. I want to walk. 
And that mama bear inside her started raging. So she got a second opinion, a third opinion, a fourth opinion, a fifth opinion. Finally found a physician willing to help. And with this physician's help and me doing physical therapy five to six times a week, I was able to walk between age two and three. Now, I really don't remember that much about that. But obviously, that's a huge feat in my young life because four of the doctors said it was going to be near impossible for me to walk, and I'm walking. Um, but I do remember roughly around five at the time, um, my mom put me into soccer. And um, at the time, I probably could run 25 to 50 yards before my leg would give out. So I'm basically standing there on the soccer field while kids are playing soccer around me. And I'll never forget what my mom told me during this period of time. I remember after practice, I was just sick of it. Kids were teasing me. I wasn't having fun. So I go to my mom. I said, Mom, I don't want to play soccer anymore. I'm basically staying there. Kids are playing soccer around me. They're teasing me. I just don't want to do it anymore. And I remember what my mom told me because I, I hold this true to this day. She said, Paul, if you don't want to play soccer anymore, that's fine. But you need to honor your commitments. So you need to finish out that soccer season. And if you do not want to play soccer after that, that's your prerogative. And that's exactly what's happening. Walker, I'm 41 years old. And I haven't played soccer since I was five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't say soccer was ever on my agenda either. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great sport. It just wasn't for me. Sure. So I got... A big break after that soccer season. I got surgery on my right foot to tighten up the tendon to give me a little bit more spring in my step. And at the time, I did not know how big of a game changer it was until I switched schools. And my first day of PE, I'm in first grade. And I remember doing our stretches. And the teacher goes, okay, guys, run your lap. And I'm thinking to myself, here we go again. I'm going to run 25 to 50 yards. I'm going to have to stop. These other kids are going to see that and they're going to start to tease me. But because of the surgery, it was different. I was able to go past that point where I normally have to stop. And I remember saying to myself, come on, Paul, you got this, buddy. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And I finished the lap with the other kids. On the outside, I kept it cool. But on the inside, I was like, yes, yes, yes. The first time in my young life where I just fit in, I didn't stand out. And because of that surgery, things did get easier for me. But I wouldn't consider them easy. My parents got divorced when I was about 12 or 13 years old. I had to switch schools at that time. And that's a tough age to switch schools, period, with no disability. Kids are going through hormonal changes. They're becoming teenagers. Uh, and most of them have been going to school with, the, for, with each other for years and years. So they already formed their cliques. So they don't have time for anybody new. So just being new alone is going to be tough. Well, I'm a new kid. Plus, I walk with a limp, and I hold my right arm differently. So I couldn't break into the school. I was bullied, teased quite a bit in the mm. school. Spit on, tackled on, you name it, they did it to me. And I came from this uh, silly old school mentality that you didn't squeal, you didn't tattle. So I had all this, this anger and sadness inside, and I just bottled up. I didn't tell anybody about it because I thought I'm just being – being the man, I'm, that's what I'm supposed to be doing, which later on in my life, I understood that that's just silliness. Right. Um, on top of all this going on, I was raised Catholic. My mom wanted me to go to a Catholic high school. So I did take an assessment test to see where they were going to put me 
uh, when I got to high school, what, what level they were going to put me. Well, Walker, I must have bombed the test because when I met with the principal and my mother, the principal tells the both of us that she's going to put uh, me at the lowest level possible, and she does not expect much from me. I do not seem like I'm college material. After one test, this principal says this to me. Wow. So I'm devastated. I go back to school, uh, and, and it's just I'm crying myself to sleep most nights going, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Why can't I be like anybody else? And I don't know what came over me, Walker, but the – but the beginning of eighth grade, I was sick and tired of being angry and sad all the time. I knew deep down those weren't my go-to emotions. But because of the environment I was in, those were the emotions that were coming up most times. So I thought to myself, what could I do to distract me from these feelings? And I thought, what if I set a goal for myself? And I focused in on this goal and I kind of ignore all the outside noise that I was hearing all the time. So I thought, what could my goal be? And at the time, I loved baseball. So I thought, what if I tried to make my varsity baseball team in high school? So I stayed playing fall ball, winter ball, spring ball. And if I wasn't doing that, I was throwing a tennis ball against the wall. So I was doing this constantly. And I'll forget, a coach came up to me probably one of the seasons and said, Paul, boy, you play a lot of baseball. Do you have any goals with it? And I didn't want to tell the coach that I wanted to make my varsity baseball team because I thought he was going to laugh at me. Somebody was cerebral palsy making a, base, a varsity baseball team. So I was like, oh, no, 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 no. But he was persistent. He kept asking me that question. And finally, I broke down. And I said, yes, I want to make my varsity baseball team. And I was bracing myself for him to, to laugh at me or tell me that was impossible, whatever. But he didn't. He paused for a second. And he said, that's doable. And I'm like, what? That's doable? <laughs> he goes, yeah, that is doable. But you got to have other people keep you accountable for your goal. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? He goes, you need to tell your team that that's your goal. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I just started making friends with these people. I don't want to tell them that. They're going to start laughing and teasing me because I have this ridiculous goal. And he goes, Paul, if you want to be on the varsity baseball team, these kids need to know about that because they need to keep you accountable for your goal. So I said, okay, I was reluctant, but I said, okay. And I was shaking after practice the next day, I got in front of the team and I told the team my goal. And I, again, I was bracing myself for them to laugh at me, but they didn't, they clapped for me and I had tears of joy. Oh man. Yeah. And I know this now, I didn't know this while I was going through this, but I know this now I started sending a different energy out towards these kids. Instead of uh, uh, keeping my head down, shoulders down, I always had my shoulders back, my head up. I had more confidence. And people were perceiving this different confidence in me. And as a result of this new confidence and this new energy I was sending out, they were sending a different energy back towards me. Instead of bullying and teasing me, they started rooting for me. So my high school career was much, much different than my middle school, junior high career, all because of how I carried myself. And that's the win alone. But the cherry on top of the whole thing was I was able to make my varsity baseball team as a junior and a senior. In my senior year, I pitched a three-hit shutout. They poured the Gatorade on me, and I feel so alive. I feel so good about myself. Oh, man. That's super awesome. It, 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 well, it truly was. And I graduated high school, and I really think about that goal going, wow, when I made that goal back in middle school – it was just a way to distract me from all the bullying I was feeling, uh, was facing at the time. It was just some distraction. 
but I was able to do it. Somebody with cerebral palsy was able to make a varsity baseball team. So I started to also think about what that principal said to me years earlier about being not, not being college material. See, Walker, all through high school, I pretty much milled it in. I just did enough to stay eligible to play baseball because in the back of my head, I was like, what is the point? I'm not college material. Just do enough to stay eligible to baseball and move on with yourself. So my grades were not very good. And I thought to myself, well, why, if I could make this goal, make it a varsity baseball team, why can't I set another goal to say that I am college material? So I enrolled into a junior college because that was the only place that would accept me at the time. I got myself a math tutor. I got myself a tutor for other subjects. I went to the math lab. I did everything necessary to increase my grade point average. And with all the hard work that I was doing, I took my barely a 2.0 all the way to 3.5, where I was able to transfer to a four-year university, where I was able to become college material. And I so wanted to go back to that principal and say, see, see, you were wrong. I was college material. Yeah. You know, I thought about that, Walker, and I thought, you know what? Maybe I should thank this principal because all through college, I was hearing her voice in my head saying I wasn't college material. And I was in my head arguing with her going, I'll show you I am college material. And it, I hit the books hard because of hurting her voice. So I don't know if that was her motivation all along. But you know what? I forgive. I move on. I'm 22 years old. I have no life experience whatsoever. I have no idea what the heck I want to do with my life like most 22, 23-year-olds. So a family friend comes up to me and says, Hey, Paul, do you ever think about becoming a mortgage loan officer? And I'll hire you. He was the CEO of a small uh, bank. And I'm like, well, you know what? I got nothing going on. I need a job. Let's go. So he hires me in. And I get into this job. I'm very excited about it. And no one wants to talk to me when I get there. I'm barely greeted. I'm sitting alone at lunch. I'm like, what in the heck? I haven't felt this way since middle school. Why? What's going on now? And I quickly realized what the issue was. They all knew I knew the CEO. So it wasn't because of my talents. It's mm. who I knew. So in their head, they said, this, this punk kid doesn't belong here. They're going to chew me up and spit me out and make it, uh, make it very, very hard for me. And I thought to myself, I'm going to prove my worth here. So I dug in. I didn't complain about the workload. I had a positive attitude. And from afar, because they didn't want to talk to me, I was observing what the top loan officers did in, in the company. And I'll never forget my first day of wanting to go out in the field and get loans for the first time. My family friend stops me and goes, what are you doing? I go, hey, I got my rate sheets. I'm going to go out. I'm going to get some loans. And he looks at me and goes, no, 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 no. You are not ready. Let's get you some more training. And then we'll send you back. And then we'll send you out there. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I got this. I got this. Let me go. And he's like, all right. And Walker, he was 100% right. I need way more training. I was falling on my face left and right. I, I really didn't know what I was doing. But slowly but surely, after trial and error, I started to figure out what value I could add to these clients. And so I started bringing in loans and more loans and more loans. And two years later, I became a top producer in this company. And the people that didn't want to talk to me when I first got there are now coming to me with questions on how I was able to turn things around at such a fast clip. And I really thought the mortgage industry was going to be my thing for the rest of my life because I loved it. It was great. (laughs) Then 2008, 2009 hit and the economy tanked it. 
and I would get a job in the mortgage industry and that company would go belly up and I'd have to get another job. And that happened like three or four times. So I'm really losing luster of the, the mortgage industry. But I'll never forget one of the last places I was at in the mortgage industry, they brought in this motivational speaker to, to kind of motivate us to bring up the sales numbers. And the guy blew me away. The guy was tremendous. So hmm. after the presentation, I went up to him and I said, man, that was awesome. And he was, was very gracious. He allowed me to pick his brain a little bit. And he told me he started as a life coach. I'm like, life coach? What in the heck is that? And he explained that to me. I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's what I want to do. Maybe I want to do that. So on the off time of doing the mortgage stuff, I was getting my coaching certificate. And I started telling people that's what I wanted to start doing. And people were humoring me and going, okay, whatever, life coach, whatever. Go ahead and save the world. But while you're saving the world, get a couple loans while you're at it, will you? <laughs> so they were really just like kind of just put me down about it. But then things got to, to be very serious. I got my website up. I started posting stuff on social media. And the legal team I was with at the time got wind of what I was doing. And they stopped me and goes, Paul, what is this? And I was very transparent. I told them exactly what I was going to do. The mortgage stuff was going to be my main job. And I was going to do the coaching on the side. And they're like, this could be a conflict of interest. So we're going to have to get back to you. And I'm thinking to myself, that does not sound good. And they came back with a five-page report of what I could and couldn't say. And I looked at this report and I'm going, there's no way I'm going to make any traction in the coaching world if I follow this to the T. Right. So I spent a year not doing any of the coaching, just doing the mortgage stuff, paying down the debts, doing everything necessary to take this leap of faith. So a year later, I quit. And people are looking at me going, what in the heck are you doing, Paul? You just made President's Club. What are you doing quitting? And I go, I want to do this coaching thing. And they're like, this life coaching thing is pie-in-the-sky nonsense. You're a loan officer. Stop with this nonsense and continue the mortgage stuff. And I'm like, i got to give it a go. And they're like, okay, go ahead and go, but you'll be back. And I'm like, okay, maybe so, but i got to get it out of my belly. i gotta, I got to see where it takes me. And for a while, Walker, I thought they were right. Because I wasn't getting any traction in the coaching world. And I started doing some soul searching on why that was the case. And I came up with this, with, with the problem. How do I expect people to be vulnerable with me if I'm not vulnerable with them? See, the story I told you about having cerebral palsy, I wanted to bury that story. I didn't want to tell a soul about that story. Because all through growing up, all I wanted to do was fit in. I didn't want to stand out. I didn't want any special treatment. I just wanted to be treated like anybody else. So just bringing up the fact that I had cerebral palsy, I'd be near in tears. A lot of times I would make up excuses. So I have softball injury. That's why I'm limping or whatever I did. But I didn't want to go there. But I thought the only way that I'm really going to make a difference in this world is if I tell my story. So I started telling my story anywhere I could do it, podcasts, special groups, whatever. I was doing it. And at first it was really, really shaky, but I started saying it over and over and over again. And I'll never forget my first client ever comes to me and says, Paul, I don't have cerebral palsy, but I have X, Y, and Z. And I feel like you can relate to me. So I'd be honored if I could hire you as a coach. And we've just been building from there, building from there. And now that COVID has, uh, has uh, restricted a little bit, we're starting to do workshops and it's all about that mission, about taking back your pen and writing the story that you want. Because all through my life, like I said, people wanted to take the pen from me. And all through my life, I said, no, I'm writing the story. And that's what I want from everybody else, to have everybody 
put the pen back on their hand and start writing the story they want to live. Yeah, well, and I mean, I think it's even, you know, especially powerful coming from from you with the story that you have, because to some extent, you started out with someone else holding the pen, right? Like, not even just suggesting that they might write it, but just very flatly saying like, hey, this has already been written, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's a there's a lot of power in, in that. And, and yeah, I just I love that. Um, I'm also I, I'm constantly fascinated by, um, for lack of a better way to say it, the, the duality in things. So I'm going to kind of ask you a few questions here to, to, to get to this point I, I, I think I want to make. But so, you know, something that you talked about, you know, certainly as a as a kid, but then really it persists throughout, you know, into adulthood. And I think this is true for people for, with a lot of different backgrounds, like not necessarily just a physical, you know, disability or something, but, and it's this idea of like not being able to fit in and being the outcast and, and you know, as a kid being bullied and, and, you know, even physically bullied in some ways. And then you get into the adult world and maybe it's not because of the palsy, but because of the, 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 the perceived nepotism or, you know, whatever it was. Right. Yeah. Um, there's this isolation. And so to some extent there becomes this, there's a lot of value and it sounds like a skill you've honed really well is kind of, you know, putting the blinders on, right. Not leaning into that um, negative talk or whatever. Can you, can you talk a bit about how you develop that skill and, and how, or, you know, why that's useful? Yeah. Well, I can really talk about it now. I didn't really know what I was doing back when I was really honing in, but now no. I, I can tell you exactly what I was doing. I was priming my brain with positivity so what I do now and what I my clients do is this. When you wake up in the morning, before you start your morning routine, whatever it is for anybody, it's different for everybody, take a few minutes to think about what is going right in your life right this moment. If you can, write it down. Pick a couple things. Because when you do that each and every morning, you start to prime your brain to start to look for positive things. You could get something on your phone. Up, oh, free coffee. Up, oh, the day keeps getting better and better and better. Because we can go the opposite way real easy, right? We could have our negative mindset. We could be driving to work and we get to get a flat tire. And we say to ourselves, this would happen to me. I would get a flat tire. And I would say to that individual, yeah. Because you're looking out for the negative. It, uh, your, your mind seeks what you're looking for. I use this example all the time. How many times do you buy a new car and you're driving that car all over the road and you see that same exact car that you bought all over the place? You didn't see it before you bought the car, but you see it now. It's the same thing with a positive and negative mindset. Your mind seeks what, that you, what, you're, what you're looking for. So if you're, you're seeking positive – your mind's going to seek it. If you're seeking negative, your mind's going to seek it. So it all starts with that. And with my coaching, we got to start a foundation, right? You want If you want to set a goal, that's great. But we first got to set a foundation with yourself. It starts with that self-esteem. You got to be able to look in your mirror, look in the mirror and genuinely say, I love you. I love you right now. I don't, I don't I'm not who you were in the past. Not who you want to be in the future, but I love you right this second. And when you can generally do that, then that's when we can start doing the goal setting. Because I'll tell you why that's so important. Because when you set goals, you're going to have challenges. Bottom line, it's going to happen. You're going to get to a point where things are going to get hard. 
And if you do not have a strong foundation, if your foundation is weak and your self-esteem is not strong, you're going to hit a challenge and you're going to start to seek excuses. Oh, this is too hard. Maybe I want to do it this or that or the other. But if you truly believe in yourself and believe in the goal, and when you hit a challenge, you're going to say, well, this is a bit tough here. Give me some time here. I'm going to figure it out because I want to get over it because the goal is greater than this challenge. And I, I think that's so important in our lives that we build ourselves up and, and, and give ourselves that self-care and that grace. I mean, it's not being selfish. I use this, all, this example all the time. Um, when you're in the airport, when you're on the airplane, they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first before you assist anybody else. So put your oxygen mask on first. That way you can assist your kids. That way you can assist your significant other, your family, your friends. But you're not going to be able to do it if you're not right. So you've got to take care of yourself first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm jumping around actually a little bit, but something you just said was something I noticed when I was looking over some of your videos that you've got on, on YouTube. Um, in a few of those, you talk about the concept, uh, uh, use a word that you use just now, which is having grace with oneself. Um, and I, I wondered if you could expand on that. What does it mean to have grace with oneself and, and how does one do that? Yeah, that's, that's, that's very good. Thank you for asking that question. So when you're, when we go through life, we're going to have these times in our lives where we're not going to be positive. Even though we get to do our gratitude or whatever, things are just going to knock us off. Life is tough, right? And we go through this, this rabbit hole, right, of this negativity. And then we feel bad that we're feeling bad. And we just keep getting worse and worse and worse. So what I mean by giving yourself grace, say to yourself, you know what? It's okay that I don't feel good. I'm not going to beat myself up because I don't feel good. You know what? I'm going to take a day or two to rest and maybe not do anything and not feel bad about it because I need to do it because of, of whatever happened. You know, a family died or whatever. You may need a lot of time for that. But I'm just saying that there's going to be times where you're going to have to allow your, uh, yourself some, some grace to feel sad, feel angry. I think the worst thing that we can do is bottle those feelings up. You're a human being. And you should be able to feel your feels. But when you start to understand that, you know, there's going to be a point, though, when you're angry or sad and you're, you're going for a long period of time, you might say to yourself, you know what? I don't want to be angry and sad anymore. And the, and the way to get out of that, again, is going back to that gratitude piece. But you've got to feel your feels. If you're a human being. You're entitled to be angry. You're entitled to be sad. And that's giving yourself grace. Yeah. No, I think that's really beautiful. Um, and it, it, it resonates with me personally quite a bit. Um, you know, people who've listened to this show will be familiar with some of this information already. But when I was 20, my dad passed away. And uh, of course, that was very shocking and, and a big struggle for me. Um, and eventually I got to a place where, because I was, I was in a mental state where like, I could be fine. And then if a certain song came on or Maybe someone just said something in a certain way and all of a sudden I'm crying, right? And it's like, I don't want to carry tragedy with me every day from now on. And, and, and so there has to be another way to understand this where I don't feel that way. Um, and eventually I was able to come to a, some new conclusions and understand it in a different way where I, you know, now I can talk openly about it and I've talked to other people who've lost loved ones and tried to share some of my insights with them. But when I was going through that, 
I didn't feel guilty about being sad, right? Because it made sense that I'm sad about losing my parent. But fast forward that to I've struggled with my weight a lot as an adult. And then I might feel guilty about, you know, indulgent eating or overeating or whatever behaviors there are. But there was this level of shame that I had when thinking about those things. So I wasn't able to really process it objectively because I'm putting any thought I have about the topic of my eating habits, my diet habits, I'm putting them through this filter of like something's wrong with me first, right? And so then it's impossible to come to new conclusions because I can't solve the actual problem because instead all of my energy is going to this problem of how bad I feel about myself for having the problem in the first place. Um, and, and so, you know, I've worked and I've talked about this openly on the show too. I've worked with a coach now for a couple of years and yeah, I mean, it's taken quite a while to get to that point to where I can understand those thoughts and behaviors as being this block. Um, anyway, again, I just kind of randomly rambling here at you now, but it just resonated with me a lot because that grace piece, I think, is something that's easy to overlook and maybe easy to misunderstand. And I say that because that's true for me. <laughs> um, and I just think it's really cool that you talk about it as, as often as you do. And I just wanted to highlight your, your thoughts on that. bit ago i i spoke to to uh, the duality of things i t- i land planes but sometimes we circle the airport <laughs> for a while so the reason i said that is because so you know in in your story that you told one thing that's present is your ability to kind of shut out negative outside voices and then there's another another part of that story is this capacity within yourself to to try and choose what to focus on right? Choose to focus on the positive, choose to look for the good in things. But then there's another element to it where at every step along the way, you have other people who support you, whether it's directly supporting you like your parent when you're a child, or whether it's just as the mentor, you know, the CEO that wants to give you the job opportunity, right? Maybe they're not, you know, on the phone with you daily or something. But my point is, is there's always other people there too. So as much of this is by yourself, it's also hand in hand with others in all these steps. Um, so I wondered if you could maybe elaborate a bit on how that network of support, how mentors have shaped you throughout your your, your life. Well, you got to start with my mom. My mom's my hero. Without my mom, I wouldn't be walking right now. And I probably wouldn't be on this podcast. My life would be totally different. 
So um, I'm blessed in that fact that I had a, I, I do, my mom's still alive, uh, a great mom um, that did not take no for an answer and, and believed in me, believed that I could walk and believed in, in everything that I've done since I was a, a, a child. And I, I can't say enough great things about my mom about that. Um, she's the type of person where you come to her with a problem and she does not let you dwell on the problem. She starts coming up with solutions. So I've never been in, in a situation where I could, you know, just say, oh, but, you know, why? No, let's get a solution. Let's go. Let's go. Let's let's keep thinking. If that doesn't work, let's try this. Let's go. Let's go. So I've always had that mindset. So my mom was a, a great role model in my life. And then, you know, when you get into being a teenager, you know, obviously you try to break away from that a little bit and you try to be your own person, try to be, uh, try to become more of an adult. So when I started to get into the, the baseball, um, I, again, I was very, very lucky that I had a coach that believed in me. Um, but the reason why that coach believed in me, because I was busting my butt every single day in practice mm-hmm. and he saw that. And that's why he kept, was very persistent on what I wanted to do because obviously I was going there with the purpose. I wasn't really socializing. I was, I was listening to the instruction and I was doing it. And, and, and for me, because of my ailment of having cerebral palsy, things don't come easy to me. So I have to do rep, 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 rep. And he noticed that I'd stay after practice. So because of that, you know, he, he took his arm around me and he kind of showed me the ropes on what I, I could do to get to the next level of, of making the varsity high school baseball team. So, um, uh, again, that was a little bit of, uh, I guess, luck and hard work coming together there. And the same thing with uh, the banking industry. Uh, yes, I was very lucky to know the CEO of a small bank to get me my start. But, I mean, he was in another city. He was at a corporate office. I was in a different area altogether. So he didn't see the day-to-day. And, I, you know, and I'm and i not the type of person that's going to call somebody and be a tattletale and go, oh, they're mean to me, this and that. I'm like, no, I'm going to figure this out. So, again, in that situation, I, I dug in and I worked very hard. So, yeah, there was a little bit of luck and hard work coming together there. But, um, yeah, I, I do think that you can't do it alone. You, you definitely do need help. Uh, with other people and you need to surround yourself with people that 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 want good for you uh there's a there's a great uh speech by theater uh theater roosevelt uh, called um um man in the arena and it talks about celebrating the people that actually do in the arena you know taking the, taking the challenges and keep moving forward taking the criticism and keep moving forward because when you're in the stands it's real easy to criticize it's a different thing when you're in the arena fighting alongside somebody else so when you're in you know you're in your your journey or wherever it's at and you have people criticizing you you need to stop for a second and say the people that are criticizing you or the person that's criticizing you are they in the arena with you or are they in the stands? Because if they're in the stands, you might want to uh, quiet down that, that, that uh, voice you give them. But if they're in the arena with you, it could be more uh, uh, constructive criticism because they're in there with you and they've done, been there, done that. And they're saying, hey, if you keep doing that, you're going to fall because of experience. I did that and that didn't work. So um, you have to have thick skin that way. But you got to analyze 
that. And you want to surround yourself with people that are going to keep you going, keep you moving forward. The worst thing you could do is, is, is be with people that are just bringing you down, that make fun of you, that put you down, that, that don't want good for you, that, that are jealous of you. Um, you know, and I always talk about you should never compare yourself to somebody else. The reason why, it's impossible to do. You do not know where their starting line is, and you don't know where their finishing line is. If you feel like somebody is quote-unquote ahead of you in some way, whether it's personally or business, reach out to them and ask them what they did. Because most of the time, they're going to feel flattered that you asked them the question, and they're going to probably give you, the, give you what they, they know. And then when, you, when they tell you it on how they got there, they're going to tell you about some of the challenges that you didn't know about. And you're like, oh, wow, it wasn't as easy for them to get to that level that you just didn't know. You just thought they started from the top. But no, they didn't. Most people had to work hard to get there. So yeah. uh, I, I don't know if that answered your question. I kind of went on a tangent. No, own. it did. No, it was great. Yeah. It was great. It, well, and the point that I the, the larger point that I think I wanted to try and, and, and bring it all to is that, you know, in our and this is probably true for all of time, I'm unfortunately only from now. So I only know <laughs> what it's like now, but there's so much emphasis on boiling everything down to just like, this is an absolute truth, or this is an absolute truth, or you're either, you either agree with X or you agree with Y, or you like left or you like right or red or blue or green or yellow or whatever. Right. It's always, and it's like, that's actually not <laughs> how most of life works. Uh, there are some things, but very few. And, and so there's a balance to all of this. And, and, and so what you've really described through, through this is that on the one hand, it's important. And this is where I said the duality, because on the one hand, it's important to not listen to people who don't have your best interests in mind. Right. While simultaneously, it's important to listen to people who do have interest in mind. It's important to reach out for support, but it's also important to have some level of self-resilience. And I don't say that because these things are contradictory. I think the conclusion is really that the answer is that you, you are going to be connected to other people. And so you should be very intentional about who those people are and what kinds of things that they're you know saying to you or conversations you're having, um, because you're going to be affected by other people in one way or another. And so then really the power that a person has is to choose what those messages are by choosing who they interact with. Does that sound succinct? <laughs> yeah. The word, while listening to you, the word that kept coming into my head when you were, when you were saying that was having the awareness, having yeah. the awareness to know, you know, Oh, maybe I should listen to these people and have the awareness to go, Oh wait, maybe I shouldn't listen to those people. I think that's very important to be self-aware in situations. So, you know, where to take it. And I get it that, you know, we're human beings and your awareness might not always be correct, but your gut feeling, your gut feeling more times than not is correct. So if you do have any type of uh, reservation, trust whatever your gut is and go with that. And if you fall down, who cares? <laughs> Thomas Edison made a, made a career of failing. He failed so much he succeeded. He failed thousands and thousands and thousands of times to come up with hundreds of inventions. If he did not fail, he would not succeed. So if you if 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 I talk to somebody and they say, "Oh, you know what? I don't fail." I my next question to them is, 
how high are you setting that bar? Because it sounds like you're not setting that bar high enough. Right. Yeah, I think it's it's something uh, that's always struck me as uh, somewhat amusing, at least. Um, but, you know, I've known some people that are, are, when I say paranoid, I don't mean like they're, you know, um, schizophrenic level of paranoia. Nothing like diagnosable, right? Like yeah. Not that, not, not something that's actually a condition. But they'll be paranoid about, you know, oh, I think my boss is out to get me or whatever. And, and, and it's always amusing to me because it's like you do realize that you're just actually not important enough for the CEO of the company to scheme against you, right? Like they might be that cruel even, but you just, <laughs> you, unfortunately, you don't have enough power in this dynamic to warrant that kind of attention from them. And to some extent that, and so there's like this, this almost like arrogance is not really the right word, but it, it it's almost like this, like, like, dude, you're not that important kind of thing. Right. And, and to some extent that same folly is present when people are afraid to fail. Cause like you just said, like, who cares? That's a really good question actually, because the answer is like, literally no one cares. Like, I don't know what my neighbor is doing right now. And across, I have no idea. They could be failing a million times. I don't care. I don't care. And I'm not going to find out. I'm not going to ridicule them about it. And that's the thing is it's like, you're probably safe from being made fun of because no, no one's watching. And if you get to a point where someone is, that's probably a good thing because you're doing something that's actually getting attention. Right. I mean, assuming again, it's not destructive. I mean, obviously there are, ways that can be horrible but anyway you get my point <laughs> I, I get your point and uh you know I, I i worked with a client before and they were battling their weight right and they and he really really wanted to go to the gym but he was terrified to go to the gym because he was worried about what other people were gonna uh, think of him and he walked in and i like to tell him because i i have to go to the gym for my cerebral palsy all the time so mm-hmm. i know this to be true <laughs> No one is looking at you, buddy. Everybody's looking at themselves in the mirror, flexing, doing this, doing that. They don't even know you're there. So don't worry about going into the gym and people judging you. And you know what? Like for me, when I'm in the gym and I see somebody that might be a little bit overweight, I'm not judging them. I'm rooting for them. Like, you're changing. You're changing. This could be one step to your new life. Let's go. I love it. The fact you're in here. Let's go. Yeah, no, 100% agree, 100% agree. Um, this is something that stuck out to me, at the, and it's one of the very first things you said, so this is probably a weird jump way back. But I just, I loved it because it, it just, again, it just resonated with me. So, you know, I've talked to a variety of, of coaches and a variety of psychologists on this show throughout the years, and I feel like that it it's super important to talk to the, this variety of coaches because even though in many ways, a lot of the sentiments are similar, every coach brings their own spin to it. Like I, as many coaches I've talked to, I've never had a coach talk about the pen in the way you have, right. And taking the pen back to, to write your own, your own life. And, and so the reason I think it's so important is because even if the fundamental premises of like being aware of yourself and being intentional and setting positive intentions and setting goals, even if those underlying facts are in many ways, the same, the way that it's said, the way that it's presented is unique to the individual. And if, if just the information being present was all we needed, we, everyone would be doing a lot better, right? So clearly the fact that people still don't know some of the things or don't apply some of these things means that they haven't heard it in a way that resonates. 
and and so I think it's important. You know, I always encourage people if they've tried a single coach and it didn't work, try another one. Like just because one coach didn't click doesn't mean that coaching is not valid. Same thing with psychology. Like if you tried a psychologist and it didn't work, try another one. Like it doesn't mean that it's invalid. The reason I'm going on this long point is that you mentioned that your mom took you as a child with cerebral palsy to see a doctor and they made one diagnosis and she went to multiple doctors. And that's in the space of like a physical medical condition that I think we probably have a way better understanding as a collective of than we do mental stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So my point is that like, even in the case of something like cerebral palsy, you can seek multiple doctors, multiple professionals, and it might not be even on the third try. It might be the sixth or seventh try, or and I don't remember exactly the, the, the count, but it might be several tries in and you might still find someone that says, yeah, I can help you walk. And that's huge, right? And so the same thing is true when it comes to coaching and, and mental health is like, just if you've tried it before, you've heard some of the stuff before and it didn't resonate, like, please don't believe that you've seen it all. <laughs> anyway, I just had to, had to well, say that. that. That's a great point, Walker, because I have a coach for myself because I feel like if I believe in coaching, I should have a coach for myself. I think it just it's a it's right. a it's a cycle. And I got to tell you Walker, it took me God, I think it took me eight tries to find a coach that fit fit me. I was just like I had coaches. I'm a really high energy type of guy as you probably can tell by by this interview, and I'd have coaches that would talk to me like this. I'm like this is not going to work for me mm-hmm. or this or that. And then finally, I found a coach and this coach just we gel, and with this coach's help, I've taken uh, strides that I wouldn't have taken elsewhere. So, and I want to mention though, with with coaching, I, I, people tell me this all the time. They're like, "I don't want to coach because I don't want a coach telling me what to do." And I go, "I don't tell you what to do. You already have the answers. It's up to me to probe you and to pull them out and to keep you accountable for your goals because." For me, with having a coach, it's been priceless for me because sometimes I'll have homework, right? And we'll set the appointment for the next time we we talk. And I have the calendar set. So I'm like, well, I don't want to disappoint my coach. So I'm going to do the homework. In return, I'm not disappointing myself because you could have goals and you could have, you could know what you you need to do. And life gets in the way and you go, I'll put it off, put it off. And so slowly but surely, it's months. And years, and and then finally you give up on whatever that is, and you don't need to do that. You just need somebody to keep you accountable. And and some people say, well, I have a friend that can do that, and and that's cool. You have a friend that can do that. But let me tell you this about having friends, right? You, you know, when you tell people your issues or what you want to do or you want to accomplish, and you keep on and on and on, there's going to be a bell in your head. Eventually, you go, holy crap. I have not asked this person anything about what they're doing, right? And then oh. you feel guilty. But with coaching, if you're paying somebody to coach, you like if you if you coach with me, you don't even have to ask me my, what how my day's going. You don't have to, you know, you can. That'd be nice to do, but you don't have to. We can just focus in on you, and we can go laser focus for an hour and a half on you. And you do not, you can get off that phone and not feel guilty for not asking me one question about myself because it's not your job to. You hired me to do a job and I'm going to do the job. Yeah, no, I, I love that you said that. Um, I, 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 I preach that 
constantly. The value in having a coach and, and being able to have what is effectively a one-way conversation for the hour or 90 minutes or whatever the session length is, is invaluable in a way that I think people underestimate just a tremendous amount. And it's exactly what you just said. And, and uh, you know, to, to the point you just made, it's not as if we're advocating that if you have a friend that you shouldn't ask your friend how their day is going, because that's what that kind of relationship is. But when you have a coaching relationship, you, exactly what you just said, you have a paid professional whose purpose for being there is to listen to you and help you. Um, and, and it's just amazing how far you can go down a rabbit hole of thinking when you don't have to stop and go, now, wait a minute, didn't you have a, a ceremony the other day? How did that go? You know what I mean? Like when you don't have to remember the other person's life and it's not about being rude or advocating that you shouldn't care about people. It's again, it's just in that, in the context of the coaching relationship. Um, I think it's hugely valuable and I, I, I literally cannot recommend it enough. Um, so I, yeah, that's awesome. Well, Paul, it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you this evening. Um, again, the, the website is a call to action coach. I'll have a link in the show notes to that. I'll also link, you have links to your social media. You've got TikTok videos, YouTube, you're on Instagram. Is there anywhere else though, that you would like to direct people to connect with you? Uh, yeah, my Facebook group called rewrite your story. It's a group of people from all over the world and they come in and they share their stories their highs, their lows, and we're only there to support, not to judge. And we have meetup groups once a month where we meet together, and they're fun. We allow everybody space to tell, you know, that what's been going on in their life, and we're there to support. And then we have a, a, a speaker that, that talks about different stuff. Like I just had, a, had somebody talk about health and nutrition, and uh, uh, next month we're going to have somebody talk about time management. So it's a great a way to spend an hour and you feel so good right after. So yeah, rewrite your story, Facebook group. Okay, cool. Well, I'll be sure and have that in the, in the show notes as well. Um, well, Paul, again, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for stopping by. Walker. I loved our conversation. We had great energy. Thank you so much. And he's
buzzing in every key I'm just simple claps of sound Well, that's all for the show today. Thank you so much to Paul for stopping by and sharing his walk of life. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music in today's show. And of course, thank you for listening. I also invite you to check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is a video game show where we explore the idea of why gaming matters. Or my other podcast, The Crowfall Podcast, which shares stories and perspectives from the MMO Crowfall. Both of these are available on any podcast app. Thanks again for the listen. Have a great week. Stay up.